Hi, I'm Patrick Pond, CEO and founder of Fabro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to this show is that Fabro customers are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Enterprises wanting to be more agile, software as a service companies scaling fast, and game developers and publishers wanting to master live ops. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders in product development, marketing, operations, sales, executive management. And what we do here is that we interview them about leadership so we can all learn from them. Let's go. And we are live with John. And I was going to say John at, but he wears many hats, but taking the shirt, I think we can safely say that, you know, Node.vc is a main hat today. But, um, you know, for the ones in the audience that, that don't know you, um, Maybe you can just give, you know, the, 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 the well, the, the more personal story maybe to, you know, what brought you to what you're doing with, uh, with Node right, right now, because it's, it's been quite, a, quite an extraordinary journey. Well, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so my, my background is really as an entrepreneur. Uh, obviously, now I'm a full-time venture capital investor. I've uh, been so for yeah, a bit more than four years now, but before that, I started with uh, studies in engineering physics, uh, spun off a company from the Institute and then another company from the same Institute, uh, took that public and uh, 20 years as an entrepreneur, um, kind of uh, maybe want to do something else full time. And I'd actually done a lot of uh, venture capital related things, raised a lot of venture capital, done some angel investments, uh, done some uh, fund investments alongside together with the other VCs and, and really uh, existed in the ecosystem for quite a while. Um, so yeah, more and more transactions and, and now I'm doing kind of transactions only and the associated support with the companies. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, we, we can say that, you know, one of these companies that you you know, you, you built, you know, is, uh, you know, is Toby, but that became an interesting story because it became two companies on the stock market. How did that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I can count myself as a founder of two publicly listed companies, I, I guess. I mean, I, I wasn't part of the, the separate listing that they did uh, end of last year, but uh, obviously I was, I was part of of the initial phase and the buildup of, of both to kind of the business units that are now separately listed. But um, yeah, no, the, the brief background is really that we, I was working with uh, sensors and especially signal processing or mathematical modeling on the sensor signals. Um, I had some sort of uh, innovation around that that led me to start my first company. And then the, the second company, Toby, I uh, got some really strong, good colleagues, uh, recruited an awesome team and, and, and built the company with a great company culture. So uh, we we were founded in 2001, which was a pretty tough time to get venture capital. So we had to very early be uh, profitable, actually, even though we were doing very, very heavy tech stuff, both software, hardware and, and, and some complicated stuff. So um that in itself was easiest to do uh, by doing business units business units with very very clear um customer value in the products uh, so so we gradually built those business units and they grew apart somehow um some business units were really um 
with one customer category and one business model and others were with a completely different customer category and different business model. So eventually the the group structure really uh, didn't make sense. Um, so they decided um, to list the accessibility uh, business unit separately. So that is now Toby Dynalox. Uh, so that's its own uh, listed entity on, on Stockholm NASDAQ. So yeah, you know, you you have been um, um, you know fathering you know, two listed companies. It's not that many people that can say that. And I think one of the one of the super cool things about you know Toby, apart from the fact that you know this this kind of split you know made uh, you know as a favor get like you know two two, two clients instead of one, you know, which we of course love. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But but uh, but, uh, but but another thing which is really cool is that when I when I when I do my my angel investments, uh, one of my criteria is that. I want to invest in something where I feel it's it's bound to happen. It's something that just needs to happen. And I think what's cool with Toby uh, is that it, it's, I don't think it's super hard for you and your colleagues um, the, with the people you've been building this with to explain why this truly is something which in, in one way or the other is going to be happening in the future. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, on sort of a philosophical level, uh, man-machine interactions become more and more common. We depend more and more uh, on our machines. We're carrying smarter gadgets and we're spending more time in front of the screen. We're expecting our, our cars to do more for us as well as other things. And just we're expecting devices to be more intelligent. And, and that intelligence that we expect from the machines has for many years been really built up with megabytes and megahertz and, and basic compute. So they can do extraordinary things. They can do things that we can't uh, even remotely do with our brains many times in terms of just sheer calculations. But, but on the other hand, they're still very, very dumb. I mean, you can be reading a document on your uh, tablet or on your computer and the, the screen shuts down because <laughs> It doesn't even know you're there. <laughs> That's the, in human context, that is being really, really dumb. Like you, you don't know what's going on at all. You're completely ignorant to what's going on. So adding the capabilities, the senses to machines really makes sense, right? Uh, how can you let somebody let go of the steering wheel even for a brief second without making sure that he or she is really paying attention to what is important, right? So, so knowing what you are doing uh, who you are, uh, where you are in space for creating the right 3D impression or just deploying the airbag at the right the right height. Uh, for example, I mean, we, we, we are expecting this uh, from our, our machines today. Uh, so, so yeah, for on that philosophical level, you're, you're, you're right. I think, I think many people get that point, especially the ones with sort of a, a tech heart or, or ambition. But on the other hand, when you come with a fairly expensive uh, trinket uh, that is eye controlled <laughs> you know you you have to explain why why people need it um so but uh, that's how we we've done that uh with toby by by our business units specific business unit targeting a specific a specific uh, customer category so yeah. so i'm gonna go out on a limb here now uh you know with the risk of you know asking a very stupid question but you know this is a question which is relevant to ask you and that is that, will Minority Report happen? <laughs> no, uh, it, it will not for the, um, for the sake of, if you actually, actually imagine um, uh, that 
specific type of interaction. I think for maybe for for some viewers, listeners, we uh, we have to explain that because it's uh, Tom Cruise basically doing all these gestures. So it's gesture control. Um, and I don't. I'm not saying that gestures are fundamentally f- bad in every single way, but uh, what the evolution of man-machine interactions will be, according to me, is that the machines will understand more and more subtle things. We call we call it passive interactions. So you're not doing an explicit interaction. For example, I'm looking at you now. That's not. I'm not doing it to control anything. But machine could know that, and it could make sure that this window is refreshed and that uh, it stays on, for example, like these things. They're not deliberate actions, but they're passive interactions. Uh, but I also think on the active interactions, the, the typing, the clicking, the pointing, this, the, the gestures, that they will be minimalized so that you, uh, instead of these very graphical Hollywood-style big gestures, they're, they're very cumbersome. Uh, and they, they're not really following the trend of getting as much done with a few clicks as possible, getting as much done by, you know, kind of a sim- a simplified. So, so no, I'd say no, actually. Maybe it looks great and it makes, it's great for Hollywood. And, and we've heard the kind of the analogy before. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that it would actually be better. Um... You know, but uh, yeah, 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 it will be better than yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we have to get back to that conversation some other time because you know, <laughs> we have a very important thing to discuss today. Um, the, the theme of our conversation today is what makes a great investor, and I think this is interesting because um, I've been having investors um, on this show before, and then we typically talk uh, from the investor perspective on you know market trends what makes a good entrepreneur, you know, things like that. Right. And, you know, and I had a chance to, to you know, have a deeper conversation with you around this and, you know, full disclosure here for the audience that I'm a little bit biased because you know, LP in, in node here, but, but uh, you know, you, you had a very interesting take on what makes uh, a good investor. And, and of course, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm then thinking, okay, cool. Uh, someone who really have been thinking this through, is probably who I would like to work with, but but I, I want to get into that topic and 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 can I just you know, hear you out on, on your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, where to start? Um, I I raised uh, venture capital from an industrial institutional investor um, back in '99 for my first tech company. Um, I was 21. I dropped out of engineering physics studies at the Royal Institute of Technology and um, and started a company. Um, and um, they had some real qualities as an investor. Uh, also, some some things that I struggled with being a young entrepreneur and then being a you know an older organization in many ways. And and um, then I went on. We started. Um, Toby and we brought in some some of the some of Europe's best VCs, uh, um, but I think even though they did a great job and they supported us well, um, I was always um, we managed to find investors that had a bit of operational experience. Uh, so when you bring in investors, you on one hand you bring in a, a potentially a venture capital firm and a fund with all the colleagues and everything that comes with that. But on the other hand, you bring in an individual. Uh, 
And that individual can be great and the firm can be an issue or the other way around. You, you, you have to see, see both, right? So, so we were able to find some individuals with a strong operational background. And we were always, it was always easier for me to reach the right conclusion, many times the same conclusions, but, but uh, with investors that had a bit of operational experience. Um, so I always wanted that. And I also saw kind of uh, after my first few fundraisings that in the US you have investors many times with more operational background, uh, successful entrepreneurs that have spent a good 10, 15 years building companies, then after that, they they decide to become full-time investors, and they can do that from a position of understanding, relating, and supporting, of course, uh, the uh, the investees, the, the companies they invest in. Um, so I, I always thought that that was something that we were missing in in uh, in, in Europe in general, in, in in the Nordics especially. How would you? Um, um, I mean, you know, the perspective that you have today. Uh, you know, is in a context that you've done so much, right? So if you would kind of go back to your, I think you say you were 21, right? Yeah. Uh, you would go back to like your 20, 21 yourself and, and you know, you would, you would have, you would, you would be able to coach that and say, okay, you know, these are like, you know, the top three things or, you know, whatever list you want to have, uh, you know, you would look for uh, in an investor because I mean, one of the, it's, it's almost like a cliche statement, but, you know, as a you know, good entrepreneur, you should choose your investors. But but if you're going to choose your investors and not just take whatever check that comes, um, then then you know you need to have some kind of you know evaluation criteria, right? So you know again, if you're going to go back to that 21 year old you know, version of yourself, what would you recommend? Oh, um, really thinking on my feet now because uh, um, uh, I, I think uh, first thing you should definitely find an investor with whom you share the same agenda. Um, I think this is very, very important. Um, I did not know this until, yeah, quite late actually, to be honest. Um, but the agenda is really important. Like, um, when, what, what kind of company do you want to build? What kind of uh, risk are you willing to take? Uh, and what, what is your time frame? Uh, and what is your sense of what does a successful valuation mean for an exit? If you can share that um, that that agenda with the investor, I think is that's a, a very very good um, starting point. And very few uh, entrepreneurs think enough about this, if you ask me. So uh, it's also probably one of the main reasons to decline an investment. You see a great company, but uh, investors many times talk about uh, oh, this is not really a VC case. First of all, I don't think anything is a case. It's a company, somebody's life creation. But it, it, it the, the point that they're trying to make is to say, you know, the ambition, the, the risk appetite here, the risk reward, you know, it's not really what you are aiming to do. You, you might be very happy with 20% year on year growth with very little risk. And you might need a little bit of money, but after that, you, you will, you would rather, keep it for life, this company, and kind of live off of the dividend. And then obviously you will have a disconnect. So, so first of all, the advice would, would definitely be to, to make sure that you share the agenda, uh, I think. Um, then my, my second advice, I, I, I wish I could keep this as my third and last, because I think it's, uh, it's the most important. Uh, it, it's to uh, 
pick an investor uh, with whom you want to share the room when shit hits the fan. Uh, so it's not, you shouldn't really expect your investors to do anything specific for you. Expect to do all the work yourself. Obviously, they can open doors. They can help you in fundraising. They, they can they can coach you in a lot of strategic perspectives and such. But, but the best attitude is really to uh, expect to do that work yourself, but expect to have somebody by your side when shit hits the fan that you've chosen, right? Because things will, you know, happen. It will go incredibly well, or it's going to be really bad, or is somewhere in between and you still have to make tough decisions. And who do you want to have in the room then? So I'd, I'd see it more as choosing a partner than choosing an investor. And I think that is important. Uh, and then maybe, I mean, the third one would be to make sure kind of that they have the capacity to follow on, to double down if things go well, uh, that you have like a good dialogue, that they're open and clear. Like, uh, yeah. Those would be, yeah, kind of like main, main, main things that I would uh, want to tell my 21-year-old self. <laughs> so let's get back to the second one you had there. So, um, so, so how would you know? Um, I mean, one way to know is, of course, that you have already done one journey together and you have been through that roller coaster and you know that this is someone you do want to be in a partnership when the shit hits the fan. So that's one way to know, which I think is one of the reasons why you see so many situations when investors are basically investing in the same entrepreneur over and over again. Um, but but now we're going back to your 21st year old self. So this is your first journey, you know, like how, how could you, you know, find out? Yeah, I, I think... Um you you know i mean that you you actually know more um it, it's about also where you put your trust in the different feelings you're feeling like should i go for the highest valuation or should i go with the ones i i like working with and i think the the truth is is really not just that black or white maybe but definitely stress test the investors uh and if you have mixed feelings for how they work or if you feel that the um uh, the culture is not a good fit then then you trust that feeling as well right so so uh, i know that i interacted with certain investors i entertained those dialogues for a long time um and um i i eventually did not take their money and i'm so happy i didn't um uh, i went with other people that i really like working with so um I think my first company uh, didn't do at all as well um, as 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 Toby did, uh, and one of the reasons uh, was at Toby we had a very very good dialogue between the the founders and the investors. Um, we we had a very open good friendship. We could talk about anything. Um, as an as as a company, you want to have investors that you can go to. Uh, tell them about the shit that just happened and how and talk to them about how to deal with it rather than go to your colleagues talk about the shit and, and strategize about how to tell the investor that's the that's the main difference so if you feel that you're interacting with somebody that you would actually tell okay this just happened i mean i just screwed up major how do we fix it because end of the day the investor and the entrepreneur they own this part of the same company 
uh, many times it's more or less the same share they have, right? It's the same upside they're sharing. So success should be for both, right? Um, uh, so it, it, there should be a very strong alignment on on just making the best for the company and the development. So let me let me then ask you a follow-up question on that. So you know we're getting into the um, you know potentially controversial areas here. Then yeah, great. <laughs> You've been seeing you know things from the outside when it comes to VCs for a while, and you know now you have done more than one journey as an investor yourself. Um, you know what have you? You know how have you seen things change to the better? And, and I'm going to throw in a little bit of spice into it. Uh, because I had a really good conversation with an with an investor that I really like, and 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 the conversation we had was that um, it, it was said that you know there there are some investors who have what we call the bouncer mentality. Uh, they like too much to be the bouncer in the door, and that that clouds the judgment to be the kind of partner that you're actually talking about here now. Because you know the stuff that you're talking about now, there's a lot of trust there, right? It's like trust. You know, there, there's there's um, um also being able to you know have this like let's say a problem solving mind when um uh, you know what even when you're a little bit scared um and and my hypothesis is that things have changed over time you know i think it was a bit different before i think it was i think it was more to say macho attitude um you know in the vc industry and, and i think basically evolution business evolution have um separated you know the really um, the really good ones from the maybe not so so good ones but um but i'm interested to hear your perspective because you ha you have a much more kind of like you know um high level view on this than than, than i could provide yeah but i mean many things have changed um it's a much nicer scene to be an entrepreneurian in general i think you're right that uh some of the uh, some of the investors with the wrong attitude they were washed out. I mean, we uh, in 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 the Nordics we um, we lost a bunch of VC firms uh, after the kind of two thousand one bubble burst and the years to, that followed after that. Uh, uh, some stayed around and they were typically you know very much the, the uh, very good people um, with long term visions and. Uh, I have a lot of, of good things to say about Northman and Crandon, for example, that really s kind of survived that. So, so um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think also from kind of an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial point of view, uh, entrepreneurship has gone from being something only for the you know very few brave exploring, doing something that was kind of not the beaten path to be sort of like. Uh, much more of a clear formula, like the stepping stones. Um, I'm, I'm beginning of my kind of being an entrepreneur uh, years, um, the A round, B round, C round, the terminology, it wasn't really there, right? Uh, it lost, at least not in Europe or in the Nordics. Uh, so so no, things, uh, uh, the things have changed. Uh, the entrepreneurs have a much higher standing now. You see... VCs entertaining the entrepreneurs. You see the, the the big VCs entertaining also the small VCs. So they they stay close to to us small VC funds to make sure that when our companies mature that they are in good standing. They they make sure to keep their reputation well. And I've seen some of the you know the the most um, 
well-paid investors spend you know long hours with companies that have failed just to make sure that they tidy up in a good way and so being a good citizen and a good investor i really like to see that so so i um i think the scene is very good now uh from from that perspective one thing that have happened though might is that many things be become very standardized you know this is an a round this is a b so um, you have much, you know, more companies, more entrepreneurs that fall into these, these, these tracks. So sometimes it becomes a little bit too rigid. It becomes almost like a formula, and you have to follow that formula. Uh, you know, if you raise this much money, then your valuation will be this. You know, uh, it, so so sometimes I, f I feel the the need to question some of those kind of established truths that have just happened. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, we had a chance now to talk a bit about what makes a, a good investor. Uh, you know, we have only a few minutes left, and I do want to give you the chance uh, to speak a little bit about also market view because, well, really two questions. One, um, I mean, you're 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 just launching Node. Um, what is what what is what do you want uh, the the entrepreneur community to know if they're going to just know because you you kind of you, you tend to have a you know, some kind of idea about, you know, investors like, okay, this is a tier A and they're like this. And, and, you know, these guys are a little bit more like that, you know, these guys like this. So, so, you know, what, what is the, what is the, you know, one, two or so things that you want the entrepreneur community to know about Node now as, as Node is coming to market. And secondly, um, there's a lot of fear in the market right now because of, you know, the economical uh, turmoil. Um, and, um, you know, you know, with favor, we have we have a lot of inbound interest, especially from from American investors. And I always ask them these questions, like, "Well, are you actually investing in Europe? You know, how do you feel about this?" And and I get a lot of you know interesting answers, right? Um, and and I definitely see that there's a bit of a split between the ones that are kind of waiting it out or whatever strategy they have, and then you have the ones that are are still active. But but probably the, the input I'm getting is that processes are slower today um and and valuations at least when it comes to certain kinds of companies are, are, are lower uh, but also one nice input i'm getting from the americans is they say well in america there was there was a bit more inflated valuations to to deflate versus in europe you know it's it's um you know, it was it was it was more balanced already before now so maybe you share these views maybe you have a different view but i would, I would just like to hear you out on these two questions yeah, no, valuations have come down, not not as much in the public as in the public markets, though. Uh, I think main difference now is that a lot of kind of tourist entrepreneurs and tourist investors are gone, which is good because it makes it less less noise. Uh, I think entrepreneurs have more respect for money. I know this from twenty years of of burning through VC money uh, that it's um, it is. Uh, when it's too easy to get money, the precision goes down. So precision for spent money within the entrepreneurs uh, is going to be better. Uh, and, and entrepreneurs know this, right? Uh, and then kind of uh, what, what what makes Node, right? We are uh, entrepreneurs ourselves at heart, which means that we will, on one hand, be able to to uh, see a good entrepreneur from from a less qualified entrepreneur, maybe. Um, but we are also definitely able to support our entrepreneurs in a whole different way. Uh, it usually doesn't take many minutes into a meeting until we talk about actual business stuff. Um, I've spent my my whole life as a 
deputy CEO or CEO um, of, of fast-growing VC-funded companies. So you end up talking about you know your incentive programs, your acquisitions, your transfer price policy, or or your stock option program, or anything else. And it, it, it usually you, entrepreneurs and meetings know the difference. So we are real operators uh, with real company success stories behind us. Not only Toby, but other companies with my fellow co-founders at, at Node. Uh, and we also know technology. Um, we build real tech companies. So if there's technical complication in your innovation, in your product, in your stack organization, uh, could be IP, could be software structures or hardware even, we, we understand that. We don't fear that risk. We don't have to run away screaming just because it has sort of a tech component and it doesn't scale explosively over like web viral, you know. Uh, so we we can handle that. And then lastly, I'd say, I think the my investors that I've had in my journeys, they've, they've done a lot of really good things for me. I'm very grateful for what they've done. Uh, but one thing specifically that they did uh, that had the highest value back to them, I don't know if they know this, but they introduced me to other founders. Um, and those founders many times had even higher ambitions in terms of you know, conquering the world with their products than I had. So I spent time with them. I came back to the office to my two co-founders and I'm like, guys, <laughs> you know, you can aim, you can aim there, not just here. So, so let's do that. And, and it was extremely inspiring. So that's what we aim to do at Node. Um, we have uh, a lot, as you know, a lot of really good entrepreneurs as investors in the funds. And they, the ones that are not investors in the fund, we keep them very, very close. So we'll make sure that our investees get to be part of that uh, entrepreneurial society as well. Uh, truly exciting, and it's um, you know, it's, you know, again going back to the, the fact that there's a little bit of dark times right now. Um, you know, super happy to see you know new initiatives. Um, you know, also. Um, uh, you know, maybe some disruption within the VC industry. You know, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we always talk about disrupting a certain market, right? And and uh, um, I mean, every market, including you know venture capital, you know, uh, can and should be disrupted. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's uh, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> well, you know, thank you so much for uh, you know for visiting the show. Um, looking forward to seeing you soon again. Uh, this was a really good talk. And for all of you listening, um, if you like this, share it so I can take part. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, you know what to do. Share it in your social media so more people can take part and learn. And one more thing, check out Favro Academy on favro.com for many more learnings. Thanks for tuning in.